Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. This morning, this is the last week that we're going to take a look at uh, this uh, sermon series, this principle of the harvest of sowing and reaping. We looked at a number of different principles. We looked at a number of different parables and passages in the scripture. We looked at the, the passage dealing with the sower and the seed and the soil and saw that you know, what, what makes the difference is my heart. What makes the difference is your heart. Because God's word is the same. It doesn't change. It's the same for every single one of you. And, and the difference in the fruit that it produces depends upon the heart of the receiver. And we see the importance of, of our heart and, and of receiving God's word. We also looked at the principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow is what you reap. For some, that's a great blessing and a great encouragement. For some, it's a scary thing to hear that what you've sown is what you will reap. But nevertheless, it holds true, and, and it's a great word of instruction for us. We, we see about a bountiful harvest, how we can have a, a great harvest if we just continue to be faithful, and that we need wisdom to be fruitful. We also see uh, this principle of, uh, if you will call it, this is what I call the situational sowing, and, and really it's about... It doesn't matter the situation. You just keep on sowing. You just continue to be faithful, and God will reward, and God will continue to give the harvest. And last week, we saw the principle of the little things. It's the little things that make the difference. It's the little changes that you might make that seem insignificant, and yet they can make a big difference. And sometimes it may seem insignificant. Well, I missed my devotions this morning. Well, I didn't pray today. I missed a church service this week and, and, uh, and whatnot. And uh, obviously there are a few exceptions. But, you know, that might seem like a little thing, but those little things can make the big difference. And, and so we need to take care and pay attention to the little things. This morning we're going to take a look at one last final principle. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of good fruit that you could have in your life by following and obeying and, uh, and uh, just uh, learning and growing and applying uh, God's word to your life. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Those are some great fruit that I would like to have. And, and if we just continue to walk in the Spirit, if we continue to sow to the Spirit, we'll get those fruits. That's a wonderful fruit, Amen. You know, we want that kind of fruit. I want some joy, amen? All right, some of you need some joy, all right? We need some joy here this morning, and, and we need some more love, amen? And we want peace. You know, there's a lot of turmoil that might be going on, a lot of different situations in your life, in your family, in, in, uh, in your workplace, or whatever the situation might be that, that causes you uh, some, uh, some fear, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is peace. You know, there's some other things that you might be able to see as fruit from sowing to the right place and sowing to your spirit. You might see some improved relationships, you know, uh, when, when uh, family members take and apply God's word and use it in their life and they sow those principles into their heart. Guess what? The family relationships, they improve. You know, a marriage that, that, that was broken can be repaired. It can be fixed. It can grow. It can, it can uh, those, those scars can be healed. You know, a relationship between a parent and a child, maybe it's, there have been some rocky moments and, and some mistakes made on both ends, but, you know, when you take and apply God's word, that relationship, it can be mended, it can be repaired, and, and they can grow closer together, and those are some wonderful things, some wonderful fruit that we can have if we just take and apply God's word to our life, but I want to take a look at the fruit that I think none of us would want 
to lose out on, which is this, seeing souls to be saved. That's a fruit that I don't want to miss out on. You know, I, I want to have joy. I want to have love. I want to have peace. I, I want to have some great family relationships, but people need to be saved. Amen. People need to be saved. They need to be saved. And I want to take a look at this principle that God gives to us. We looked at, at this parable already of sowing and reaping, or the sowing and uh, the, the soil and the seed. I want to use this verse as kind of a launching point to a number of different passages that we'll take a look at. But I want to take a look at, first of all, the strategy for success. The strategy for success. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 8 says, But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. It's a, it's a very basic principle. Most of the people in that time would be agrarian. They were in agriculture. They were farmers. Everybody was well acquainted with it. They might have grown up on a farm. Their dad was a farmer. Their children will be farmers. Their neighbors were farmers. Their family members were farmers. They were well acquainted with this principle. And it's a very simple principle. You want wheat? What do you do? You take wheat and you sow it. You plant it and you water it and you pay attention to it and you grow it. And, and at the end of it, guess what? You get more wheat. If you want corn, guess what? You take corn. You plant it into the ground. You take care. You, you, you water it. You, you weed it. You do all that is necessary. And guess what? You get more corn. Wheat begets wheat. Corn begets corn. Whatever it is that you plant into the ground begets whatever it is that was planted in the ground. And guess what? God has sown the gospel into your heart. And you know what comes out of that? Witnessing opportunities. Those that get saved, they sow the seed to others. God uses people to preach the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a great verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice the inclusion of the verse, whosoever. Anybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And notice the promise. If you call, you will be saved. There's no doubt about it. It's a wonderful verse. And there's a great promise that is there. It's a... It, I'm sure that every single one of us, if you haven't memorized it before, you've probably memorized it because I, I use it a lot when I preach on Sundays. But verse 14 is also an important verse. Verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You know, God could have used any number of different plans in order to propagate the gospel. But he chose people. He chose you and me. That's the plan. The plan to get the gospel out is by those who have been saved. Those who have heard the word and received the word and have trusted in the word 
And now they are saved, they are children of God. God wants to use those people to reach others with the gospel. John chapter 15 is a a well-known passage that deals with uh, fruitfulness. And, you know, I, I want to have that kind of a fruit. I want to see people to be saved. I trust that you do as well. Amen? You know, I, and I know that there's a great number of people who have who said, you know what, I want to see people to be saved. I'm going to try to give the gospel and, and uh, tried and tried and, and felt like, you know, maybe, maybe it's just not working today. You know, maybe it's just the area that we live in. Maybe it's the, it's the culture. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, everybody's gone cold. And, and I think the culture has changed. I think the reception to God's word has changed. I think the application of God's word has changed. But our God has not changed. And the gospel has not changed. And I want to take a look at this passage because before God can work through us in order to reach people with the gospel, before God can work through us, God needs to work in us. Before God can work through us, to see others to be saved, to see others to hear and receive the gospel and trust in Him to be their Savior, to save them from their sins, God needs to work in the heart of the believer. We'll get to this verse in just a second, but verse 4 says, As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. If we're going to have fruit, it must come from the Lord. Because I don't produce fruit, And you don't produce fruit, only God produces fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Here Jesus makes it clear, unless you abide in me, unless you abide in the vine, we cannot bear fruit. And so we need to depend upon the Lord. And and before God can work through us, he needs to work in us. Verse number one says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. First of all, I see the purging for fruitfulness. You notice that word there. He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Sometimes the temptation in Christianity is to think that for me to be more fruitful, I just got to add more of something. And, and uh, for many Christians, that is true. You need to add some more things. You need to add some more Bible reading. You know, if you're not reading your Bible every day, you need to read your Bible every day. Amen? You need daily feeding, right? It's, it, you know, I, I don't have to tell any of you, you should eat food every single day. You should eat something. You should drink water every single day. That's natural. We know that. Just to stay alive, we need to do that. Let alone grow. For us, if we're starving ourselves spiritually, we're not going to grow. In fact, we're going to start withering away. So we need to continually feed ourselves, and we need to get into the Word. And, And if you're not reading your Bible every day, you need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. You need to pray every day. Hey, you need to take and apply God's Word to your heart and into your life every single day. Sometimes that's, that's the case. You need to take and apply more of that. Sometimes you need to, so there might be some Christians that, you know, you need, you need to make the decision that you're just going to come every single Sunday. You might need to make that decision. Hey, if you're going to grow in your Christian walk, you might need to add that. Amen? 
Hey, that's a great thing. There's a reason why we have a church, why we have church services, why we have life connection groups. We've got some great life connection teachers, and I've appreciated them. They've been a great encouragement. They're very faithful, and they have some deep knowledge of the word and able to take it and apply it to your life and, and uh, where you are, uh, just uh, no matter your situation. That's a great thing, but sometimes what it takes for us to grow is God needs to take something out of our life. Sometimes there needs to be a purging. Sometimes there needs to be something that you have in your life that you need to be willing to take out. You know, elite runners, you know what they're doing? They're always looking to remove weight. They're always looking to be more efficient. They're not looking to add some things. They're looking to remove some things as well. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sins which does so easily beset us. You know, there is some laying aside that you might need to do. If you're going to grow, if you're going to be fruitful, there might be some things that you got to lay aside. You know, you got to lay aside your pride and just say, you know what, I'm going to come before God humbly. You know what, there's an issue between me and a spouse, a husband with a wife, or a wife with a husband, and you just need to come before them and submit yourselves to them and say, you know what, there's an issue here, there's a problem, I'm gonna, I, I need to get rid of this pride and we, we need to deal with this situation. You know, there might be a bad habit that you have in your life that you know is wrong and you know it's a hindrance in your Christian life and, and you, just need to, you just need to get rid of that. You might have a friend that's a hindrance to you. That's always encouraging you to do the wrong thing, always pulling you away from the Lord, always being a temptation instead of encouraging you and edifying you and helping you in your Christian walk. Instead, they're always dragging you away from the church, always dragging you away from the things of the Lord. You might need to say, you know what, you know, I, you know, I still love you as a, as, a, as a person or whatever, but we can't hang out anymore because you're not helping me in my Christian walk. You might need to do that. Hey, you might need to remove some things. You might need to lay aside some things. God might need to purge your life of some things. Hey, you might be spending too much time on the internet. You might need to drop that. You might need to cut back on that. You might need some accountability there. Hey, you, mean, you, you might need some help. Hey, you might be spending too much time watching your favorite TV show that's made by wicked, worldly people, and you, you, you want to hold on to that because you, you enjoy it. Let's just be honest. Sin is pleasurable, isn't it? It is. That's why we do it. Nobody sins because, oh, this is terrible. I hate this sin, but man, I just can't stop. No, we do it because it feels good. That TV show might feel good or whatever it is. That, that might feel good, but God might need to purge some things out of your life. You might need to prune some things out of your life. Hey, you know if it's a Saturday night and your friends want to go hang out and you know, you know what's going to happen. You know that they're just going to, they're going to go out to the wrong place. So they're just going to stay a really long time and, and you have trouble coming on a Sunday morning. You just not, might need to say, you know what, it's, it's uh, I don't know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever. And say, you know what, I, you know, I had a good time. I, I'm going to go home though because I got church in the morning. You might need to prune some things out of your life. You might need to cut some things down and cut some things out. And, and God says, those that bear fruit, I purge them. 
I pruned some branches and some leaves, some other things, so that they could be more fruitful. God might need to do some purging in your life. We also see the preoccupation for fruitfulness. Verse number four says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. There needs to be a preoccupation for fruitfulness. Notice the words that Jesus used, abide. He said, abide. He said, stay. He said, live there. And notice in in verse number four, he says, abide in me and I in you. Sometimes I read the Bible and I think, that is great. Yeah, I want Jesus to abide in me. That's wonderful. And then I think, what does that mean? You ever wondered that? I know that I need to do that. it's, it's, It's an encouragement to me. But practically speaking, what does that mean for God, Jesus, to abide in me? I think he explains himself just a few verses later in verse number seven. He says almost the exact same thing. If ye abide in me, but he doesn't say if I abide in you. He says my words abide in you. We need to have a preoccupation with God's word. God's word needs to abide in us. Not just to read it. I read it and then it's gone. I can't remember it. I've been guilty of that so many times. I read my Bible. I did my spiritual duty. And I I was encouraged by it. I was helped by it. But five minutes later, I couldn't tell you what I read. And we need to to have it to abide in us. I think that's what it means for Jesus to abide in us and us in him. You might go to work but still be abiding in Jesus. Because you got God's word still abiding in your heart. You're thinking about it. You're meditating upon it. You're chewing on it. You might go home, and your home might not be a a, a spiritual place, but you can still abide in Christ with God's word in your heart. You know, we need to have a preoccupation for fruitfulness. We need to get into the word and stay in the word and submerge ourselves in the word. We also see the progression for fruitfulness. In verse number 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. You know what a disciple does? He bears fruit. That's what a disciple does. Verse number 9, as, my, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Verse 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. You know what will happen? When you get into God's word and you let it abide in you, guess what? You'll love God more and more. You can't help but love a God that's like the God that we have. Amen? When you get to know him more and more by learning about him through his word, you'll love him more and more. And guess what happens to those that love God more and more? They obey his commands. They obey his commands. And that is what God's plan is. God's plan is for us to be purged, 
God's plan is for us to be preoccupied with his word. And when we get preoccupied with his word, we'll fall more and more in love with him and we'll obey his commands. And guess what? God's command is go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So we see the strategy for success, which is this. If we're going to see people to be saved, it's going to be through us. Amen? It's not going to be through government, is it? Amen? The solution to our country is not the government. The solution is the gospel. And who's responsible with the gospel? It's us. It's the church. And so if we're going to see people to be saved, it's going to be us. God wants to use us. We see the strategy for success, but I also see the shortness of the season. John chapter 4, verse number 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto a life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. God here in John chapter number 4 is, he's in Samaria, this is the, the woman at the well, and uh, Jesus is talking there, and, and we won't get into that story much, but when the disciples came back, Jesus a- a- admonishes them, and he says, say not ye there yet four months, and then come as harvest. He said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He says, it's harvesting time now. It's easy for Christians to lose their sense of urgency. It's easy for Christians to lose the sense of urgency. Because we always got tomorrow, don't we? We got next week, don't we? Or at least we feel that way, at least, right? Tomorrow's not guaranteed, we know that. The Bible makes that clear, but we feel like tomorrow's guaranteed. Next week is guaranteed. I got next week, I got next year, I got next decade. I can do that later, but... If we're going to see fruitfulness, we've got to be urgent about it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not ye unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. There's a lot there, but really... What God is saying is, sleeping Christians need to wake up. Sleeping Christians need to wake up. You ever miss your alarm? So I, I, have, a, I, have, I have a weird condition. I'm sure that there's not a name for this, but I have a condition where if I'm too sleepy and my alarm goes off, my subconscious says, I want to keep sleeping. And without letting me know, will not just hit the snooze bar, it'll turn off the alarm. Have you ever had that happen before? All right, somebody else has the same condition as me. All right, we've got to find out what the name for this is. But, I, you know, you, you, the snooze alarm goes off, and you hit the snooze, and you hit the snooze, and you hit the snooze. There have been a few moments in my life where I woke up, and I was like, wow, I feel really good. This is really unusual. And I look at the clock, and I'm way, way too late. You ever been there? You wake up way, way too late? The thing is, you don't realize that you're way, way too late until you wake up. Right? You don't realize that you're way too late until you wake up. 
And you know what Jesus is trying to say to us? It's too late. Not that it's too late, but it's, it's past time. Harvest season is already here. Harvest season is not in the future. It's right now. And sleepy Christians, we need to wake up. That harvest season is not in the future. Harvest season is not in your future. Harvest season is today. Harvest season is this week. Harvest season is this month. Harvest season is right now. Sleeping Christians need to wake up. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Again, the same phrase, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Sleeping Christians need to wake up, but we also need to speak with grace. Hey, Christian, be careful of the words that you use. Be careful of the words that you use. Because it's harvest season right now. And there are people that need to be saved. And they're listening to you. I know sometimes friends say, well, it's just a friend. I'm just giving them a hard time and stuff like that. And uh, I get that, you know. I'll, I'll do that with my friends and my friends will do that with me. And things like that. But I definitely have seen some Christians cross the line. I've definitely seen some Christians where I think if a lost person said, uh, saw that and heard that, they would think, I don't think that's what Jesus would have done. I don't think that's what Jesus would have said. And Paul is telling the church at Colossae, let your speech be always seasoned with grace. Be careful of the words that you use. Be ready to use gospel words. Why? That ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Why do you talk that way? Oh, it's because I have a hope in heaven. Hey, let me tell you about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about sin. Let me tell you about consequences. Let me tell you about a loving God who came and died on the cross for us and you can be saved as well. We need to walk in wisdom, Romans chapter 13, verse number 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Ephesians chapter number 6 talks about the armor of God. We need to be equipped with the armor, ready at all times. We need to have that breastplate of righteousness. We need to have the, the belt of truth. We need to have the sword of the Spirit. We need to have the shield of faith. We need to have those things because we're in a battle. And men's souls are in the balance. We need to remember the shortness of the season. Jesus is trying to tell sleeping Christians that it's time to wake up. It's time to get into the harvest field. It's time to, to get out there and see people to be saved. Thirdly, though, I see the scarcity of service. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Here is Jesus, he's with his disciples, and he sees the multitude, and he sees them coming. I want you to see Jesus' consideration. I want you to see what Jesus sees. He says, when he saw the multitude, 
you know, it's easy for us to not see the multitude. You know, I lived in New Jersey for a while, and, and uh, you know, me and, me and my wife, we would go out to New York City, and uh, New York City is a dense city, right? I mean, it's just dense. There's a lot of people there. There's a lot of people there all the time. And uh, everywhere, people walking on the street and in the subways and in their apartments and in the, in, the, in the office buildings and everywhere, there are people. But, you know, there are so many times when I was up there that, that I didn't see the multitude. You know, I was just looking for that next coffee shop that we were going to go to. And I was there to spend time with my wife, but it's so easy for us to just miss it. You know, we would go and we would see the, the sky, uh, you know, the, 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 the skyline and we would see the other things and... And it was great, but there's a lot of people that there that needed to be saved. And it was so easy for me just to not even notice or see any of those people. And, but when Jesus saw the multitudes, he saw what they needed. He saw that they fainted. He saw that they were scattered abroad. And he saw that they were as sheep having no shepherd. We see Jesus' consideration. We see Jesus' compassion. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Lamentations 3.51 says, mine, ha- mine eye affecteth mine heart. What you see moves you. What you see moves you. And what Jesus saw moved him, and it moved him because he had compassion. There are three times in the book of Luke where compassion is used and referenced. In Luke chapter 7, verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. There's a situation where Jesus is walking into a city and there's a procession walking out of the city. And there's a widow woman there and she's walking out of the city because her only son has died. Her only son has died and there are the pallbearers taking the son out. And and, uh, the, the Bible says that there are many people I'm sure this man and this family was loved by many in the city. There are so many coming out mourning the loss of the son. And so here is a woman. She's already lost her husband. She's a widow. And now she's lost her only son. And Jesus has compassion on her. In Luke chapter 10, verse 33, there's the, 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 the story that Jesus gives about the good Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Here is a man. He was just on his journey and he was, he was going to the next city to maybe conduct some business. And, and uh, there's some robbers along the way. And they, they caught him. They robbed him. They beat him. And the Bible says he, he was lying there half dead. And there was a Levite that came by. And he looked on him. And he passed by on the other side. There was a priest that came by and passed by on the other side. But there was a good Samaritan man. He saw him. And he saw his need. And he had compassion on him. And so he, he picked him up. And he took him to the next city. And put him in the inn. And took care of him. And, and told the innkeeper, you take care of him. Whatever is needed to help him physically. To, to help heal his wounds. You, you tell me when I come back. And, and I'll pay for all of those things. And Luke chapter number 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is the prodigal son. Here is a young, a young man. He did an incredibly foolish thing. Before his father died, he said to his dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. That's, that's arrogant. And he, the father mercifully gave it to him. And he took it. He went away. He wasted it. 
I mean, he's feeding the pigs, and when he's on his way back, he's probably filthy. He has no money. He probably wasn't able to take a shower. He was in the mud with the pigs. I mean, he probably looked disgusting and smelled disgusting. But when he returned, the father saw him, and he had compassion on him. You know, the way that you might look at an individual who has lost their only son, already having lost her husband and now lost her son, the compassion that you might have on them is the compassion that we should have on the lost. That's the same word that was used, the, the story of the man who was beaten and robbed mercilessly, almost dead. You know, you, you might see a situation like that and have some great compassion on them. That's the compassion we should have on the lost. You see somebody who's run away and been foolish and now they've returned and, and a father has compassion on them. We need to have compassion because those that are lost, they're on their way to hell. We need to see the way that Jesus sees. And we need to love how Jesus loves. Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. To know God is to love God, for God is love. We see Jesus' consideration, we see his compassion, but lastly, we see his command. Verse 37, after Jesus sees the multitude and he's moved with compassion, it says, then said he to his disciples. When he saw the need, he spoke to his disciples. Remember God's plan? What is God's plan? God's plan is God's people. That's us. When Jesus saw the multitude and he saw their need, he spoke unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Because when we see what Jesus sees, and we love how Jesus loves, we will do what Jesus says. When we see what Jesus sees, and we love how Jesus loves, we will do what Jesus says. We will follow his commands. We will think about the great commission, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's his command. When we see what Jesus sees, and we love how Jesus loves, we will do what Jesus says because there is a plenteousness for harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous. There's plenty for us to do. You know, I, I remember uh, a, a couple of years ago, about four, three, four years ago, I, I went to get an iPhone. And I needed a new phone, and uh, so I was going to the mall. And uh, it was opening day. It was the first day where the Apple iPhone was coming out. And uh, the, the mall had an Apple store. It had like a Verizon store. It had a Sprint store. It had a T-Mobile store. It, it had all of those stores. And, and they opened up before the mall opened up. You know, the mall opens at like 10 o'clock or something like that. They opened at 8 or 9. I forget exactly what time they opened. But, you know, I, I was like, well, I'll just go there. 
And uh, I, uh, I, I'm with T-Mobile, and so I need to get a, a phone from T-Mobile. And I remember I walked into the mall. Everything's closed. I mean, there's, there's nothing open. There's nobody there. But the Apple store is open, and the other stores are open. They're all selling the same phone, the exact same phone. I remember I walked over, and I saw the Apple store. There's like a line of like 100 people waiting for the phone, right? 100 of them. I mean, there's tons of people. It's out the door, down the corridor, and uh, around the corner. I couldn't even see the end. I was like, wow, there's a lot of people there. I was like, I don't want to wait in line, so I'm going to go to the T-Mobile store. So I, I went, and uh, I walked past the Verizon store. You know how many people were in the Verizon store? Two. I went to the Sprint store. You know how many people were in the Sprint store? Zero. You know how many people were in the T-Mobile store? One. Me. <laughs> And so I walked in, and I was like, why isn't more people here? You, why are you waiting in line? It's the same phone. And so I was like, okay, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really care. And so I walked into the store. I was like first in line. I got the phone. I walked out. And I remember as I walked out, all of the Sprint employees, they were not in the store. They were outside of the store. You know why? Because there's no customers. There's nothing to do. So they just walked outside. And they're looking down at the Apple store, looking at all those people, wondering, why aren't any of them coming here? We got the same phone. I walked past the Verizon store, same thing. All of the, all of the people working there, they were walking out. They, they, they were standing outside, like right at the entrance, like waiting for people to come in. You know, they're like, it's the iPhone release day. Surely somebody's going to come here. Surely somebody down there is going to see us, you know, waving our hands. Hey, we got the same phone. But they all stood in line. And, and I remember walking out and, and thinking, you know, these people came early in the morning and they got nothing to do. That situation will never happen with the gospel. There will always be customers, people, if you will, who need the gospel, people who need to be served, people who need what we have. And there's no time for us as Christians to just stand around. There's a plenteousness for harvesters. There's the paucity of harvesters. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The harvest is big, but the harvesters are few. You know, you ever go to see one of these big events and they're always packed out and sold out and things like that? You know, concerts, they get sold out and big events get sold out. And, you know, there was the, the World Series here recently and, uh, you know, those tickets go for a lot of money. I remember I'm from Seattle, so I have some friends who when Seattle went to the Super Bowl, they flew down to Arizona to watch the Super Bowl, and they paid, I have no idea how much, but I'm sure it was one or $2,000 for their tickets. These are tickets way up at the top. I mean, you can barely see what's going on on the field, you know? And they, they spent thousands of dollars, you know? All of these events and venues, they get sold out, you know? I've never seen a Saturday morning where we were sold out, and we had to say, oh, no, I'm sorry, you can't come. We got way too many people here. I've never seen that. You ever seen that? Anybody? I've never seen that. I've never seen it where, you know, we're like, hey, we got the gospel and people can come. You can come and hear the gospel. And somebody comes and says, I want to hear the gospel. And say, oh, I'm really sorry, but there's just no space here. I've never seen that happen here. 
I've never seen that in my entire life. You know, we need more laborers to get out into the field to help, to give the gospel. We need more. Amen? We need more. We need more people to witness. There are people who are dying and going to hell. We need more people, amen? We need more laborers. We need more people. Hey, if you're free on a Saturday morning and you're able to go out and go door knocking, let's go, amen? Hey, when we have a Christmas Sunday coming up and we're going to give the gospel, hey, let's invite our friends, let's invite our neighbors, and let's not just say, hey, you know, if you want to come, you know, we got to... Say, you got to come and compel them to come. Thirdly, I see the prayer for harvesters. Here's what Jesus said. Here's the command that is given. The command is pray. Right? That's the command. The command is pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So you know what we need to do? We need to pray. Let's pray. Let's pray for harvesters. Let's pray that more people will go out. There's two things that are going to happen. The first thing that will happen is this. If you're not already going, guess what the Lord's going to say to you? You want more laborers? Hey, I found a laborer. It's you. You're the laborer. You could go out. You know, when we pray, God's going to speak to us about being in the harvest field. You know what else God is going to do? He's going to send forth laborers. Isn't that what he said? Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. When we get into the invitation time, I just want us to do one thing. Let's do what Jesus said. Let's pray for harvesters. Let's pray for more laborers to get out into the field.